With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Welcome back, Miller and Cotton, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Ken, uh, during this time without live sports out there, this is uh, a brainchild of mine. Now, you're the idea guy among us. You're always coming up with ideas, different things to do. This is one, though, that's been my baby. As we look back at some of the great teams inside of the state history, Adam Emenecker, the MVP of the 2007-2008 Drake basketball season, Take us inside. I was not doing sports radio at the time. I was in the interim as I was looking to get back into it as I had just moved to Des Moines. I was helping you out with high school football and a correspondent work at the time. But, Drake, you'd been here for such a long time. You'd never seen success for Drake. Dr. Tom goes there, at least gets them back to respectability. But that season, coming from the outside, just how remarkable it was. No, it was incredible, Trent. And, you know, we had Mike Mahon on earlier, the SID, and we kidded with him. You know, up until that year, he was like the Maytag repairman. You know, nobody's calling him to, you know, get Kurt Kanaski on the radio or what. Well, it wasn't sports talk back in the Washington era, but certainly there was in the Kanaski era. And it was just, um, they, they, nobody thought about him. I mean, they were clearly an afterthought. And, you know, it just came out of nowhere. And, of course, Larry Kotler, um, who tragically passed away a couple of years ago in a flash flood uh, in the summer, he was the play-by-play voice of Drake. So, you know, Larry would and Jeff would talk about the Bulldogs on their morning show. But it was, you know, I when Iowa State moved the needle. And then all of a sudden this happened. And these guys caught fire. And, you know, the, the sellout crowds at the Knapp Center at the end of the season – and, you know, in the media, we're, we're looking for stories, right? We gravitate to stories. And Iowa and Iowa State were having down years, and this really fell into our laps. I mean, it wasn't too many years ago, Trent, that you and I mm-hmm. were adopting teams for the uh, NCAA <laughs> tournament right. in another one. I think it was probably Hoiberg's, oh, I don't remember, maybe one of, one of Prom's years. Um, but regardless, you know, it was there wasn't a team that was going to qualify in the state for the NCAA tournament. Well, Drake did that year, and these guys were so fun to watch. Keno Davis is in his first year as the coach, and, you know, I, I keep going back to this. I mean, Adam Emenecker sat on Tom Davis's bench in his junior season, <laughs> hardly saw the floor, and then gets his opportunity and just takes the league by storm. He's the, you know, the runaway winner of the Larry Bird trophy, but so many guys, Corv um Bucky Cox was a big had a big role on that team Leonard Houston was a guy with just phenomenal hops uh watching him go up and and get the basketball that was you know they played at Butler right that was one of the I think that might have been one of the first 
ESPN games that Drake was on. That was in the bracket bust. You remember that? Oh, absolutely. That was a huge deal. Oh, it was huge. Josh Young played a huge role on that basketball team. But, you know, and then they just, they rolled through St. Louis. Uh, they were really never pushed in St. Louis and get the five seed, uh, on selection Sunday. There's a big celebration. Off everybody goes. All the media was there. All the TV stations. Cause again, there was only one team in the market that was going to the tournament. So everybody was down there five, eight and 11. Uh, we were broadcasting live from down there and, you know, just, uh, it just ended so suddenly, so quickly because they were supposed to beat Western Kentucky. We knew, we know about those five, 12, you know, upsets in the first round. And yeah, it's not going to happen here. Drake's too good. It can't end like this, can it? And Ty Rogers, unfortunately, had other plans that day, but, uh, just a remarkable, remarkable year, Trent. And, you know, until the Hawkeye, Rose Bowl team from a couple of years ago. Uh, this Drake team was at the top of my list from, you know, being fortunate enough to be on the air as long as I have been in Central Iowa. This was my team. This is the one that meant the most to me. Uh, but the Rose Bowl is just a whole other level. But man, this was fun going back 2007, 2008. Well, we got some highlights we're going to get to here a little bit later on. But right now we have the Larry Bird Trophy Award winner, Adam Emenecker from 2007, 2008, as we look back at the great teams in our state's history. Adam, thanks for joining us here today. I know a wild time across the world, and this is something we're doing, taking a look back at some of the great teams. Thanks for joining us. How, how's everything in your world? Uh, not too bad. Good uh, good to talk to you guys, and you're right. It's been a while. We're, we're in uh, interesting times <laughs> at the moment, but I, I've been encouraged to see people staying connected. And, you know, I, I do think it, it gives us an opportunity to appreciate the past. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, stuff like this, stuff like this is always interesting. It's been fun watching the games on TV, rewatching, not necessarily, uh, our old games, but some of the old time and NBA and NCAA games. It's a, it's a good opportunity to do that. Well, I want to go before we get into the season. I want to go back before the year. You get Kino coming in, taking over for Dr. Tom. You guys, of course, knew Kino incredibly well as an assistant coach. But as the season began, as you guys were going through practices in October, November, getting ready for the year, I think everybody, most any team, you're playing D1 athletics, you have to have a sense mm-hmm. that you have confidence, that you're going to be good. But did you feel something special? Did it feel different, I, I guess maybe I should say, going into the year than the years previous? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that it felt different other than the complexion of our team was a little different. We lost four starters from the year before, and, and we had an opportunity to go and uh, play a preseason tournament, the once-every-four-years preseason trip, and we went to the Bahamas and, and had a chance to play together and I, I think one of the things we knew is that our our chemistry was really, really strong. And even, you know, if, if you look at the way we played a little compared to today, it's a lot more similar in terms of how we space the floor and we're able to shoot the ball. And, and having bigs, having four and five men that could really step out and stretch the floor allowed us to be a little bit unique and different. And, and that was kind of the mid-major model. So... I don't think, I think if you would asked us before the season, we felt confident, but you know, we, we'd been used to being in that seven through 10 spot throughout the entirety of our careers in the Missouri Valley Conference. And so for us to, to feel confident meant we thought we could avoid that game. I don't, I don't know that any of us felt that going 28 and five, getting ranked <laughs> as high as whatever we were, 14th in the country. I don't know that any of us would have thought that even in our wildest dreams. 
Adam, did it take playing at Hinkle on ESPN or one of the ESPN networks to to maybe for the rest of the country to realize that, uh, you know what, Drake's got something going on here? Because we certainly knew as you guys were winning all those games. I mean, earlier in the year, you'd beat... You clobbered Iowa State, uh, 25 or whatever the out, uh, whatever the differential was. You beat Iowa. You're, you're marching through the valley. But it seemed to me that the rest of the country caught on when you went off and picked off a top 10 team in Butler at Hinkle. You remember that game vividly, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, it's, it's hard for us. It, it, when you're in the moment, it's hard to gauge how much do other people think or what do other people think? How much do other people believe, et cetera? So to know what brought the rest of the country along, you know, it's, it's just hard to say because you're in your own bubble in a sense. I, I think from, from a team standpoint, you know, all those wins that you talked about, Ken, as, as you talk about going and, and having an opportunity to beat Iowa at Iowa for the first time, I don't know if it was 30 or 40 years, whatever the time horizon was, uh, th- that was just a way for us to kind of build our own confidence and conviction that no matter what happened, no matter what the score was, we felt like we had a chance. As long as we had a chance in the last two or three minutes, we were going to have a pretty good opportunity to win. And then uh, it was 35, by the way, the Iowa State game. <laughs> was it, really? wow. it was a 35-point <laughs> margin. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think we were really fortunate and a lot of listeners might remember this as well, but the, just the, the city of Des Moines and the state of Iowa in general really rallied around us as a yeah. group. It was a miserably cold winter. Iowa and Iowa State weren't at their peak, even though they had some good individual players. And Drake's been a consummate little brother for a long time, and, and so we were fortunate that there were a lot of supporters in and around the area, and it made it a really fun and unique experience. January 22nd, 2008, you guys are ranked that week for for the first time. You come in at number 23. You go on the road to Creighton. You beat them in overtime. That one, to me, that, that was a huge difference. That's where, at least for me, I started to believe maybe this team is special. Maybe it's something more than just having a schedule and Iowa and Iowa State being down, that this is really a team that can do damage and make a run and win a regular season crown, win Arch Madness. That one was the one for me. So take us in. You know it's going to be a stack build in there over going to Omaha, winning that game as a ranked team and just being able to do that in that environment. Yeah, I mean, remembering back the the Valley at that time, that was the first year it was a one-bid league and everybody expected us to have multiple two or three teams in the tournament. That's when Southern Illinois was kind of right at the end of their run. Creighton obviously has had all those successful years under Dana Altman and now coach Greg McDermott and Illinois State was really good in the Valley that year as well and you know, I, I think for us, going into that game, that was maybe our fourth game without our leading scorer, Josh Young. And he actually came back in that game after an ankle injury and, and was pretty limited, but it, it gave us a little bit of a boost. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I think it just goes back to we felt such strong conviction as a group that whatever happened in the game, we knew the other team was going to go on runs. We knew we were playing a good team in Creighton. We just felt such strong conviction that collectively someone would step up and make a play. And if we stayed with the process, we stayed with our game plan, we'd have a chance to win in the end. And then someone was going to step up and make a big play. And it just so happened that the ball bounced our, in our direction a lot that year. And, you know, it's, it's always pretty sweet. We, we were used to losing. We lost a lot of games in a lot of places over the course of my first <laughs> three years. So to win places like at Creighton, 
to win like at Iowa, to win at home against Iowa State, felt like a little bit of revenge and, and us just letting all that work, all that time, all that effort over the course of our careers, really unleashing that on our opponents. You know, why, Adam, do you think that uh, you, you struggled to see the floor in your first two years? And when you got that opportunity, and you mentioned the graduation that you'd had after your junior year, but you, you take the floor as a senior. You're, uh, you're no doubt about it, Larry Bird trophy winner at the, at the banquet in St. Louis. What was it, do you think? Was it just, you know, an, a lack of an opportunity? Would you have been as good as you were in your senior season had you had more minutes earlier? Yeah, I mean, that's always so hard to say. I, th- I think as an individual and as a player, you always are confident in yourself and your ability. And and so I was really fortunate that early in my career, I had a few uh, seniors, a few upperclassmen that were very complimentary and very supportive and even advocated on my behalf to the coaching staff. And, you know, the coaching staff made their decisions and they and they have their reasons. Obviously, if it were up to me, I would have had more of an opportunity to play every single game I, but I, you know, I, I do think sometimes things have a funny way of working themselves out, right? And, and for me, whether, whether I look at, do I think I was the best player in the Valley that year? I mean, I don't. I don't think I was the best player on our team. But when you look at the, the underdog story of our team and you look at the underdog story for me in particular, especially playing, uh, paying to go to school for three years, that that all kind of coalesced and, and created much more of a story than it ever would have been had I had an opportunity to play, call it 25 minutes a game my first three years. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it definitely felt like it came from out of the blue. And once you start to win some games and build some confidence and figure out what your role is on the team, obviously that, that kind of cascades on itself and breeds more confidence. But you know, it, it, we were really fortunate in a lot of respects, even though maybe things could have went differently the couple of years prior. We were really fortunate that, that we were able to band together and, and taste the sweet victory of success for a, for a short period of time. Adam, final question for me. I'll let Ken finish with you here. And it, it deals with not the NCAA tournament game against Western Kentucky. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sure for you and your teammates, that's been rehashed time in and time out a lot yeah, of times. Right. Why, why, do you have, why do you have to bring that up? This is well, until you started talking about that. But... but <laughs> I want to get into the seating. So you guys are sitting there. I remember the cameras being on you guys. I can't remember if it was ESPN or CBS, but they cut to you guys, and you guys get a five seed. And I was looking back at through some numbers. You were number 17 ranked team in Ken Pomeroy's numbers going into the year. I know they weren't using that at the time, but you guys were also in the top 12 in RPI going into the NCAA tournament. And to see a five seed, I don't know. I know it was a surprise to a lot of people here. Was it a surprise to you guys inside the locker room? And, of course, we know the history of 5-12 upsets that go along with it. Sure. Well, so it, it's kind of hard for me to say, partially because that's the first time we went through that experience, right? So we didn't really have anything to compare it to. You know, but over the course of time, it was it was really unusual, and even it's changed now. Uh, mid-majors, I think, because of all those advanced metrics type of stats that you're talking about, get a little bit more love in that respect sometimes in their seeding. I think, you know, for for the Valley to have a team that was a five seed was actually kind of unusual. And the Valley had had so much success in the tournament. Five was a, was a pretty high seed. Um, so, you know, I, I think from our standpoint, it was more, listen, we're just excited to be in the tournament. We're excited for our matchup. To me, less so than us having a uh, maybe getting poorly seated. Man, if you look at the team we played against, 
Western Kentucky, I think, was significantly underseeded mm-hmm. in the, the total talent level on their team. They had three guys who ended up playing in the NBA. Jeremy Evans was a slam dunk, comp- uh, slam dunk competition winner. You have Courtney Lee, who's a guy that's still playing, uh, that had a lot of success this year, or has had a lot of success throughout his career. And, and so Western Kentucky, you look up and down that roster, man, that team was really, really tough. Made for an exciting game, but they were they were a really difficult matchup for us, and I think drastically underseated for them to be sitting on the twelve line. Interesting. Uh, last thing for you, Adam. We'll let you go. You're doing uh, you're doing a lot of color uh, in the valley, particularly the Drake games. You and Larry Morgan did a bunch this uh, winter. I finally pulled the trigger and got ESPN Plus, so I so I listened right. and watched the watch Drake play a lot this year. Adam, you're really good at what you do. Have you had opportunities to do more of this? Yeah, I mean, I, I would absolutely love to continue to do more. It's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun to be able to, listen, you, you go to a basketball game, you get a front row seat, and you try not right. to put your foot in your mouth the best you can. And I, I think it's an exciting way to stay connected to the program. I end up working probably anywhere between three and five Missouri Valley games a year that, that might be non-Drake. But uh, I, I appreciate the vote of confidence and, and saying you enjoy listening to it. It's, it's been a heck of a lot of fun for me and give a lot of credit and kudos to Larry Morgan. That guy is a, is a consummate professional. He does a great job. We have a great relationship. He's been super helpful for me, but it is, uh, it is something that's really fun and I would love to continue to do it if, if there, if greater opportunities exist. Adam Edenicker, he was the Larry Bird Bird Award winner, and he joins us here today. Hey, Adam, great catching up with you again. Love the call. Love reminiscing with you and Drake basketball. Certainly uh, feels like it's coming back in a big way way with DeVries at the helm, and uh, hopefully full buildings again over at the Knapp Center. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. And then continue to talk about and support the Bulldogs. Like you said, Darren's doing a great job. And uh, they've had a lot of success the last couple of years. Let's get more people out to the out to the Nap Center and, and enjoying and appreciating games, especially once we're done getting cooped up here. <laughs> Hopefully, people take advantage of going to see things in person next season. If I had a drink Good basketball stuff. game coming up tonight, I, I would be there, and I think a lot of people <laughs> yeah. would be. It wouldn't be a problem yeah. being a full one. Thanks for your time today, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Yep. Thanks, guys. Adam Edmanecker joining us here today. Good stuff there from Edmanecker, and and I didn't even want to bring up the Ty Rogers shot, but. You no, know, it is. I, I was looking at those numbers, and Adam's exactly right. At that time, 2008, you know, sometimes you just get in those scopes where you're only looking things through a prism of today. But in 2008, he's right. A Missouri Valley Conference team getting a five seed, that was a big deal, even though the numbers say they probably should have been a three seed that year. Yeah, interesting. I, uh, yeah, I remember Selection Sunday. I remember the cameras being there and those type of things. And yeah, just remarkable, Trent. And then we all made our way down to Tampa Bay and. And sadly, a lot of folks were scrambling to change plane tickets to get home on the Saturday because they, they there was no Sunday. I think they were a, were they Friday Friday Sunday I want to say. Feels but right. everybody was look yeah looking to get out of town early when they got knocked out. No nobody saw that coming. I, I you know I, I truly believe that that nobody thought Drake was was going to get picked off the way that they did. And sadly, they did. And the twelve and the thirteen would play for the right to go to the Sweet Sixteen. Everything was all there for him, but Ty Rogers and Lee and company, they had other ideas. Emmenecker struggled uh, to shoot the ball in that game. Bucky Cox was terrific. Now, Emmenecker from the free throw line was... I don't have the box in front of me, but I do remember. I don't know if he missed. Shot a bunch of them, but just struggled to uh, uh, with his shot, which was unlike him. He had a remarkable year, Corver and... And Bucky Cox and Heemskirk and Houston and Young. 
Uh, Alex White, you should have played football if you take a look <laughs> at him. Uh, he was built like a brick, you know what. Uh, but, yeah, fun, fun year and uh, a good team to look back on, Trent. Well done. 29.16 rebounds in that game from Bucky Cops. He was Is that what it was? Holy mackerel. I, I hadn't remembered it was just that good and how well he had played in there. You're right, Eminecker was 11-12 from the foul line in the game. Drake was 31-38 to from the charity stripe. Another guy that I loved on that team, John Michael Hall. Seemed like he would come in yes. all the time. He'd hit a shot, he'd go out, play his 8-12 minutes, and he would play them incredibly well. A guard wear number 50, that always, uh, I got a kick out of that. (laughs) Fun team. It it was really fun, and maybe a few more memories uh, here at the end of the show. But we got to take a break. We got Zuma Mahente waiting in the wings, ESPN Sports Center. He's going to join us before that, though. It is time to help you pay your bills. KXNO and iHeartRadio wants to give you a chance with that. Right now, text the keyword, thanks. Thanks to 200-200 right now. Your chance to win $1,000. Text THANKS to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Zuba Mahente up next. Miller and Con until noon. 1460 KXNO and 106. If you've been affected by suicide, you're not alone. Suicide is a leading cause of death that affects millions each year. In most cases, it happens when stressful life events overload the coping abilities of someone suffering from a mental health condition. And the most common condition associated with suicide is depression. If you're having thoughts of suicide or if you're concerned about someone else, assume you are the only one who will reach out. Together, we'll bring hope to those affected by suicide. Learn how you can fight suicide. Visit AFSP.org today. Miller County continues, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Glad to have you aboard with us here on a Wednesday. Tomorrow, Restaurant Radio returns to the airwaves at 1030. We will talk to a number of different proprietors of restaurants across central Iowa. That comes your way at 1030 Tuesdays and Thursdays. But uh, back inside the world of sports right now as we welcome in Zubin Mahente from ESPN as he joins us here today. Zubin, thanks for your flexibility. Had you scheduled for yesterday, popping on today, trying to figure out what's going on in the world, keeping everything uh, busy at this time. But it's uh, it's interesting, no doubt, in your network, ESPN, really good article early in the morning from Jeff Passan talking about baseball and some of the ideas and theories out there, what they're going to do when we do get the all clear and we're going to get sports back. First welcome and good stuff there on MLB. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this is really going to work because Major League Baseball is actually one of those situations where you're actually getting real news like the Noah Syndergaard news yesterday. There was really no indication of that. That really came out of nowhere. Um, You don't really know how guys are training. And I know there's been a lot of people that have said the biggest concern right now is the arms. It's just the ability of guys that are completely shut down. What are they doing? If they get the all-clear, eventually when the all-clear comes, who knows when that's really going to be. Because when I spoke to Jeff last week, as we have always said on this show and when we were talking on SportsCenter, these timelines just don't mean anything. These are just arbitrary numbers that owners and leagues are just throwing out and hoping they could be woefully optimistic. But there's really no indication that anything. Because remember, baseball was going to suspend for two weeks, suspend spring training, then go mid-May. Everything was just so nebulous. You don't really know exactly what the deal is. But that Syndergaard one was really interesting because if you kind of look at what has happened to the Mets just as a team 
in general. Harvey's out of baseball. Syndergaard's got this problem. Wheeler was the most banged-up guy of all, and he ended up getting a nine-figure deal from the Phillies. So you just don't know how (laughs) baseball is going to work, but protecting those arms is probably one of the most important things they can do at this point. Yeah, Chris Sale earlier, he decided, you know, that he was going to try and put off the Tommy John surgery. And when he saw what uh, what baseball was, while well, the world was going through and what it was doing to baseball, he elected to, you know, to go under the knife. So it's crazy, Zubin. I mean, Scott Boros today in the Los Angeles Times is coming out and saying, you know, we should play the whole season. And if we have to play a World Series game on Christmas Day, well, so be it. And as many times as you seemingly draw the short straw at ESPN on Christmas Day, maybe you'd welcome that, a games, a, game, a World Series game. Yeah, what's so interesting about that is I just think that, that those types of comments I just feel right now, not just that they're inappropriate. He has every right to say what he wants. He's one of the most powerful voices in all of sports, not just baseball. But I think at this particular point, you have to look at the feasibility of things. I mean, they're worried about playing World Series games in November and I understand, obviously, you get to a point where if you're in a cold-weather venue, how do you do that on Christmas? I mean, those types of things have to be taken into consideration. Sure, you can move them into a dome. You can do some things. But as the NBA is finding out, you're not just dealing with sports. Part of the reason the NBA is having trouble figuring out what to do is because a lot of these arenas, let's just call it Wells Fargo Arena just to localize it, they're not just booked for the Wolves, and they're not just booked for the Wild. They've got the WWE. They've got all sorts of other things coming through, and that's what the NBA and Major League Baseball and these other places are finding. I know these days they don't hold that many more concerts in stadiums, but if you have to find places where weather is going to be an issue, especially in the NBA, they're looking at playing in not just the G League arenas, they're looking to play in practice facilities, because practice facilities won't be booked for anything. They're merely practice facilities with room for maybe a half dozen people standing there on the sidelines watching. And obviously, being a little facetious, they could have some operational folks in there. And I totally understand what Boris is saying, but I just feel like it sounds silly, but the first thing you have to think when anybody puts forth a timeline or playing the entire season is the practicality of it all. The other thing about Boris playing the full season is, as you know, in the NBA and the NHL, and this has been a little bit more modified in the NBA, players get paid when games are played. So obviously Boris wants all the games to be played because then his players would get the full value of the contract. For example, right now every NBA team has played about 67 games. You've been paid about 67 games of your contract. There's not the idea that you have signed a $100 million contract and someone's going to come with a giant check, publisher's clearinghouse check over to your house. You get paid as the games accrue. So right now NBA players still haven't been paid for the whole season because the whole season hasn't been played. And I would imagine Scott Forrest looks at us the same way and says, if we play the whole season, all of my guys who are relatively high-dollar guys, and his view, of course, is to go get the highest dollar. There's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of guys that have been very happy being represented by Scott Forrest. Play the whole season, get 100% of the money, and then there's no issue there. But again, just saying that on the surface seems totally impractical. Zuma Mahete joining us from ESPN. I, I've seen a couple of things come across Twitter earlier today. John Oranda, a friend of our program, from Sports Business Journal. He is interviewing your boss, Jimmy Pitaro of ESPN. What has been the edict that you've been talking to with your bosses and the people higher up as we're working through this with no sports? You're doing Sports Center, which revolves around sports of the day. 
And though we have news stories, we don't have the sports to get into. I know you guys have done a lot of different things. I, I've enjoyed pretty much everything that I've seen come across the ESPN airwaves going back, looking at past things. But when it comes from the top down, what have your bosses been saying to you? Yeah, I think it just matters, varies on a day-to-day basis. I think that's really the biggest thing uh, to look at. I mean, even sometimes our program schedule is coming out one day uh, in advance. Obviously, we've run marathons with Tom Brady, UFC. Uh, I think we ran something with Peyton Manning mm-hmm. on his 44th birthday. Um, so there's those sorts of long-form things we're doing. I think we're running the OJ documentary that's come back into uh, cycling. Um, but I think there's a lot of things like there's more than you would think. You know, So, for example, anytime something happens with Major League Baseball, like the passing, we'll cover it. Uh, last week was pretty much filled by Tom Brady almost exclusively. <laughs> right. uh, you've got the Olympics news which doesn't really affect us per se, but it is the last big one that was out there uh, standing with the postponement, and there's a lot of ramifications there just because of the individual sports associations that have gone into doing that, and so that was a big deal. I think a lot of it also just comes down to, like you said, some of the things we're doing, this day in tourney history, this day in the NBA. We mentioned last week, Trent, that we had done something, and I think you and I had spoken about it called Senior Night. People that had had their senior nights, or camp weeks, or last tourney appearances taken away from them. And we're having those kids in some cases, whether it's high school. I know you guys went on to play some high school state championship games. Uh, but for states that completely shut down, or colleges that shut down, or somebody as famous as Sabrina Unescu or Miles Powell, or somebody maybe that is not as well-known, that's just a high school player that's going to play for the last time for their local team that didn't get a chance to because of a government shutdown or a statewide shutdown in most cases, those kids are getting spotlighted on the air. So I think we're doing it on a day-to-day basis. We're always thinking of ideas. You know, uh, We threw one out the other day, hypothetically, of all the young quarterbacks in the NFL as we move toward the draft on April 23rd with no fans. There's so much talk about Tua. There's so much talk about Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love. And somebody threw out the other day, like, you know, is the, is the most intriguing young quarterback in the game Jared Stidham? We spend all the time talking about those draft guys. But is the most hmm. intriguing guy for obvious reasons, Stidham. Okay, if it's Stidham, why don't we call up Gus Malzahn, who knows him as well as anybody else. I believe Stidham threw four passes to the pass last year. He threw 729 for Malzahn. Why don't we get him to the SEC network camera? All of our 14 schools in the SEC have a dedicated team camera in which somebody can just sit there and come on from their campus. Why don't we get him to come on from the plane? And talk about Jared Stidham. Who knows Jared Stidham better than uh, Gus Melzahn? And I think Stidham has obviously put himself right front and center in terms of being an NFL storyline. So we can kind of creatively use those ideas. Like, how can we implement the SEC? How can we implement the ACC? What can we do technologically to have social distancing to get those guys on to talk about real sports issues? So it's just having the creativity of doing things like that moving forward that we're probably going to have to do. Well, speaking of creativity, your, your colleague Adam Schefter, as we move to the uh, NFL draft, Zubin, he threw out there today that, you know, each one of the rounds gets their own days. The draft expands to seven days, round one on one day, round two on another day, etc. Till we get through this thing, I think that might be a little bit of overkill, but there's nothing saying that we couldn't extend this to, 
you know, round one, then round two, then round three, round four maybe, and, you know, finish off the week with five, six, and seven. But I think that that's got a chance to be popular. I mean, no one moves the needle like the NFL. Last week with the free agency, everybody that does what we do for a living was incredibly grateful uh, that we had NFL at least to uh, as a diversion from what's going on in the real life. Does that one make sense that you, instead of making it a three-day event, maybe expand it out to five, six, or to Schefter's uh, idea to seven days? I think it's a pretty good idea. I think because the presentation is going to be stripped down and essentially done in a studio, why not elongate it? Because it's not going to be that much more of an infrastructural or logistical issue uh, than having it be a three-day event. I think then you could, as you mentioned, from a distraction standpoint, then everybody gives a night one great, right? I mean, the, the night is over at 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 Central, then everybody weighs in on maybe the one pick. I know certain teams like Miami and New England actually have a lot of picks in the first 100 picks. I mean, New England's got four, and Miami obviously is stockpiling uh, for a while. But you have the opportunity to give immediate grade as soon as it's over and then look forward to day two. Now, we're generally doing that in this current situation anyway, but it really kind of, I think, sets up, lets you stop, breathe, recalibrate, do it again. To your point, I think you really have to be like a hardcore draft guy for rounds five, six, and seven. Mm. Um, but I think there's different ways to do it. I mean, you spotlight before you do round three. And again, this is a minor thing. But again, you have to give everybody an incentive to be there when you're still working around Netflix and Facebook and YouTube and all these places that are competing with us that are just doing incredible uh, business right now because people just want to be with other people in any way that they can. But if you say to yourself, okay, it's round three of the draft, and you say to yourself, famous people that have been taken in round three, and you throw out Russell Wilson, and famous people Joe taken Montana. in round four, you throw out Dak Prescott, you know, or famous people taken in round two, and you throw out whoever was taken in round two. Those are just small little mini things, but for the overwhelming percentage of people like yourself um, and myself that love the draft from beginning to end, the reality is that the majority of people love night one and anybody can name a first-round pick, Baker Mayfield and Tyler Murray and Jameis Winston and all that, going all the way back, even Eric Fisher. But I think once you start getting to night two, even if it was a normal setup, the people at home, not to mention the people that would have been in Las Vegas, the people at home need a much bigger sell on a Friday and a Saturday night. And if it's something as simple as, hey, you might watch one of the all-time greats, whether it's Brady and Six, or Wilson in four, or Dak in four, excuse me, Wilson in three, and Dak in four, get drafted here tonight. We won't know who that person is. They'll walk across the stage, or we'll catch up with them at their house, or whatever the case may be. Uh, we won't know who that person is, but the idea is that you could be watching someone get drafted, and it could be night one of great. If we can kind of sell a storyline saying, you never know, I think there's some creative ways to do that Pass round one where I think the drama sells itself. Zubin. Well, you sold me. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> send this thing out. I have maybe first 10 picks one night, uh, 10, 11 through 20 the next. <laughs> uh, let's extend this as much as possible and try to get us through this. Zubin, now I want to get your perspective on college athletics. It is certainly a precarious time. Who knows what the fall is going to bring and what's going to happen in terms of fans inside of stadiums, that type of thing. The house of cards that is college athletics, if the economy you know, continues to have issues, the money that is involved that goes in and people writing those checks to keep these athletic departments afloat, on and on and on, are we potentially dealing with the house of cards here in college athletics and 
the days of millions upon millions of dollars paid to coaches, scholarship numbers. There's so many layers to this. College athletics as we know it, are we due for a reset of how we know college sports? It's possible. I think two things are going to happen. One, you have to start right at the beginning. I mean, there's a situation with a lot of coaches right now where kids are not able to take the SAT or the ACT. Now, I know most kids have taken it, but if you're a partial qualifier or you need some extra work on your transcript as a graduate transfer, right now everything is on hold. So that's something you need to figure out. Now, a lot of places have done distance learning, virtual learning trend. I know you used to be uh, an educator. But these are the types of things that right now are completely up in the air, and everything with the NCAA revolves around student-athletes and their eligibility. So you have to start right at the bottom. That guy you've been recruiting, that junior college guy that needs two more credits, or simply that high school player that has maybe not gotten the requisite test scores that they need. Those people are trapped at this particular moment. And in many cases, if you're waiting for a player like that or you've been recruiting a player like that for months, if not many years, you really don't know what to do in that situation. One thing that hasn't been talked about that I think might come to some sort of fruition, and it depends how it all works out, because as you well know, um, you know, football runs everything, and if there's no football in the fall, then it's going to be difficult to keep these other sports afloat, because at many schools, uh, Pete Samuel wrote a great piece on Yahoo Sports. I suggest anybody check it out that's interested in this issue. He talked to West Virginia's president that says, West Virginia basketball pays for West Virginia basketball. West Virginia football pays for everything else. And if we don't have West Virginia football, we're going to have a problem with all men's and women's sports that doesn't involve basketball. Because obviously, as we all know, the importance of the dates and having the six or seven home games to prop up everything else. One thing that hasn't been talked about that I think could be broached, and I think there's been a contentious situation here, and that is the NCAA runs all of the NCAA championships. I think there's slightly a misnomer that the NCAA is running a lot of these games and they're running a lot of these leagues. A lot of these leagues run independently. The NCAA is only there to administer championships. Mm -hmm. But the NCAA is working in a situation where they generally have a huge financial surplus every year. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with the NCAA tournament and the fine print. Uh, Unlike the Olympics, where uh, Brian Roberts, the chief executive of Comcast, came out and said, games are postponed, NBC's not losing any money, we have enough insurance, we'll just make the profit next year, we won't make it this year. Yeah, it hurts, we're trying to launch a streaming service, it would have been tied right into the Olympics. But we're not losing a ton of cash. We're just not making it. We'll wait to see what happens with the NCAA and the tournament CBS and Turner. The NCAA is living on a ton of surplus money. And it may not be the worst thing in the world for certain NCAA member schools to get some sort of bailout, much like they're talking about with the government, a much smaller amount of money, Mm -hmm. obviously, from the NCAA to basically say, look, this is unprecedented. You don't have to pay this back. This isn't a loan, or maybe you do pay it back, or maybe if there's certain criteria met, there's loan forgiveness. But there is such an animus and there is such an enmity between the NCAA and its member institutions for so long over so many things, over eligibility, over waivers, all these things that are keeping these two organizations, the member schools and the NCAA, at each other's proverbial throat. I think if there was a way and the NCAA had the money and they could do it equitably, and this is obviously very complex, I'm just throwing this out, if there was a way that they could help schools that needed it, I really think you might see the fracture start to heal between the NCAA and some of these schools that have been at odds for a long time. Did it take a pandemic for us to get here? Could it happen? I have absolutely no idea, but I do know they have a ton of money, um, and those are basically just from the NCAA tournament. Almost all of the money the NCAA makes is from the tournament, and that deal is through 2032. Could there be a cash advance? Could there be something? 
I have no idea. I'm not smart enough to logistically work through that. But I do think there could be an opportunity here for an olive branch between the NCAA and its member schools, especially if the NCAA can do something and help them stay afloat. Is that time side? It might be. But it's something I've been thinking about. Oh, yeah, I like it. And certainly a great theory. No surprise. From ESPN, Zubin Mahente. Zubin, we will do it again next week. Thank you for your flexibility this week. Thanks for the time. And we'll be keeping an eye on you there on SportsCenter. Take care, guys. Thank you. With Thank you, Zubin. Here. Zubin, always great information and a great theory about college athletics and, and the mm. money involved. That, that's got to be – you think of what athletic directors are doing across the country now and just trying to figure out – you mentioned yesterday I was extended their ticket window for season tickets, but are there going to be season tickets? It's still a question yeah, that nobody, nobody has an answer to, Ken. No, Trent, it's the great unknown, right? There, we're, we're on the verge of a reset, I think, in college athletics. You know, it's too bad we ran out of time, Zubin, and we're going to run out of time if I don't be quiet here. But wanted, I wanted to get his Obi Top and Luca Garza take oh, yes. to, to end it. But, uh, cause that didn't go over well in, uh, in the, in the state of Iowa, at least, uh, on the eastern part of the state for the most part. No surprise there. We got to take a break. One more. We'll come back on the other side. Put a cap on things. It's Miller and Cotton, 1460 KXNO and 1 Avenue in Des Moines. Final segment on a Wednesday. It's Miller and Cotton, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Ken, as we get ready to check out for the day, well, normally we're talking about games for the night. That's what we're normally hitting up here, but... Looking forward to tomorrow's program. A lot of fun today, reminiscing about the 0708 Drake basketball team. Mike Mahan, also some information on the Olympics. Talking with Emmenecker. We had Cappy. We had Zubin. Good program here on a Wednesday, and we'll try to do it even better tomorrow. Absolutely, and restaurant radio is going to be a part of it, and we're looking forward to day two of that. And we're already full, but we're already taking bookings for next week. Ken Miller Show at gmail.com. What's your Facebook, Trent? I know a lot of folks reached out to you after you gave, put that out on the air yesterday. Yeah, just hit me a message request. You can hit me up, just Trent Condon, C-O-N-D-O-N is where you can find me there. Hit a request, and uh, we're going to start lining these up more and more and maybe expanding this thing because it is blow it up in a big way. Support these restaurants. Support the businesses that are still out there, still grinding, still to make a go of it. If you can, the time certainly is now as we work together to get through COVID-19. That'll do it for the program today. We got Murph and Andy coming your way today at 2 o'clock on KXNO, followed by the Sports Fanatics, and then we start anew 6 a.m. with local programming tomorrow morning, the Morning Rush. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.